Hello and welcome to The Rules of Investing, brought to you by Livewire Markets. I'm your host, David Thornton. A year ago, I sat down with Oscar Oberg, Lead Portfolio Manager at Wilson Asset Management. His thesis then was that small caps were beaten down and due for some mean reversion. Alas, small caps haven't done much since then, with the small lords returning 3.9%. Yet Oscar's thesis also remains unchanged. In fact, it's gotten stronger. Not only is he positioning for a rebound in smalls and microcaps, he's doing it with overweight exposure to consumer discretionary, a sector that has been tarred and feathered by today's macroeconomic landscape of high inflation and high rates. As Oscar puts it, there's no mean reversion without consumer discretionary. In today's episode, Oscar lays out this thesis and the companies that make it up. He also discusses the relationship between the tech rally and small caps, generating return with short-term tactical trades, how he deals with low liquidity, and the primed aged care stock currently under takeover. If you're an Apple podcast or Spotify user, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Or if you're already a subscriber, hit the follow button at the bottom of the wire to get notified whenever we post new content. Not a LiveWire subscriber yet? Head over to livewiremarkets.com. It's free to sign up and you'll get access to the leading investment minds from Australia and abroad. Oscar Oberg, welcome back on The Rules of Investing. Oh, thanks for having me. Mate, last time we spoke, uh, which was a bit over a year ago, small caps were beaten down. Fast forward to now and not a lot has changed. Large cap tech has gone on a tear. When will small caps bottom? Yeah, so at, at Wham Capital, we've focused on identifying undervalued growth companies that have a catalyst. And over the last 25 years or so, uh, we've mainly found these ideas in the small cap industrial sector. Now, despite, uh, I guess, investing in small cap companies, our benchmark is the All Ordinaries Index. So let's call it the, the wider markets, which is dominated by the large, large cap companies. And I think the ASX top 50 might represent around almost 70% of the market. And that compares to our holdings in WAM Capital, which is around 1% or 2% of the portfolio-owned large-cap companies. Now, the big intro there is only purely because we look at small caps versus large caps and how that has performed you know, really over the last two years. And it's been a very, very tough market. And it all largely culminated with the Russia-Ukraine war, but also the onset of inflation, so the beginning of 2022. So if we look at the Small Ordinaries Index, over, since around September 2021, Small Ordinaries Index has underperformed the broader market or the All Ordinaries Index by around just over 20%. And in fact, I guess, and why we're excited about small caps and why we think they've bottomed and are due, due a good run in the next, call it 12 to 18 months, is that the June quarter actually represented the first time in the last eight quarters where the actual small cap market beat the broader market beat the market or, or its large cap um, counterparts. So we're actually feeling quite good. We think there's a turning point right now in the market and we're positioning the portfolio accordingly. So that's a reversion to the main call? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say we're necessarily – I don't look at the market and go, oh, I'm really bullish on the market and I think the market's going to rally really hard in the, in the, in the next, call it, 12 months. Um, I do think it's, a, it's, it's more of a reversion. Um, and that, that's largely due to the fact valuations have have retraced a fair way, particularly in small caps. So, and there's what you see in the market at the moment. There's a, really only a real a narrow 
bunch of stocks that have done incredibly well. And if you if if you've owned those stocks over this period, you've done you've done really well. Um, but where we're getting interested now is in the sectors which have done really badly in the last two years because we do think the share prices are factoring in a, a very negative outcome. And you know, thankfully, in the last few weeks, it does appear sort of the macroeconomic environment is turning. Um, you know, and, and the pace of interest rate rises sort of globally, as we've seen in the United States, might start to be slowing. So that should be that should bode well for the small cap space. And when you're talking about those harassed sectors, you're talking consumer disc. The dirty one, yes, consumer <laughs> discretionary. Um, but look, it's, it's a huge part of the index um, and it's, it's, it's around 35 to 40% of companies that we look at really. And that's not just retail. I think everyone thinks consumer discretionary is retail, but it's, it's auto... Uh, automotive, it's building materials, it's media, um, so it's it's tourism companies. Um, you know, I'd even put sort of REITs in in that bucket as well, and that's sort of thirty five to forty percent of the small caps index. So it's a, it's a lot, and I guess what we've seen because that's part of the market's been so weak that a lot of companies that used to be large cap companies in that space have actually come into the small cap market. So I'm thinking companies like Star. Um, ARB, super retail. So we actually have a bigger exposure now than what we did, say, a few years ago. So my view, for small caps to outperform the broader market, you need that part of the, you know, the consumer discretionary or, or, or stocks exposed to the consumer to do well. So to rephrase what you're saying there, small caps don't outperform without consumer disc outperforming. That's my view right now. Um, and, and uh, you know, there, there's a number of companies within the small cap market that have done incredibly well over the last couple of years. And, you know, we, we, we've been lucky enough to have a few of those names, um, but they are trading at very high valuations. And a lot of those names are sort of defensive companies. Um, so we do think that those are the sort of style of companies that are at risk as we go into a tougher environment. As defensive companies you know, are no longer perceived as defensive if they start having earnings downgrades because of the economy. And then we think investors will start looking forward like the market always does 12 to 18 months down the track and if you know it, it, and as we've seen with the technology sector you know we think that's a lead indicator for consumer discretionary stocks because our view is is that if you're bullish on technology you have a view that interest rates are coming off well in that scenario consumer discretionary or stocks exposed to the economy should really do well so the small caps that have done well are you holding them for the long term or is there some profit taking there Definitely some profit taking. So I'm talking companies like NIB, uh, Ausbrokers, um, or AUB Group as it's now known, Steadfast. I mean, these are fabulous companies, nothing wrong with them. But they have outperformed and they are trading at very high valuations. And we sort of took the liberty to do that probably about three to six months ago, um, just because we thought it was getting overheated and we were seeing, as I said before, interesting opportunities in, in beaten up sectors, which we started to initiate positions in. So... Uh, they're, they're great companies in their own, own right, but um, yeah, we've just been taking profits because to us, if 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 the environment changes, they're going to become funding sources for institutional investors, um, and we see a period where they could actually underperform, even though they're still delivering okay results. Just to tie this all off, um, in the context of the market as a whole, what's the relationship between the cycle, small caps, and large caps, especially large cap tech? Yeah, I think um, you know it's interesting. It's it's really interesting to see what ha- has happened in the United States, in particular the Nasdaq, over the last six to twelve months. I mean, I think if we we're sitting here this time last year and envisaged you know technology sector to be one of the best sectors um, globally, I, th- I, th- I think we all would have said no chance. 
Um, but clearly with artificial intelligence and, and the way that the mega cap tech companies have traded, I mean, they've tra- traded incredibly well. So, and if we look at, look at Australia, I mean, we look at WiseTech, done fabulously well. Zero's, you know, really rallied hard off its lows. Our team's done well too. So I guess, again, as we look forward, where, where are the companies that have been really beaten up? And I think it's in the small cap space. It's a number of these, call it loss-making tech companies that told us all a year or two ago that they're going to be profitable in in the 2024 financial year. Well, they actually look really, really interesting to us, particularly as the environment's changed. So, I mean, if you look at our portfolio, we've done really well out of 360, the Life 360 Megaport and Next DC, but it's those next layer of uh, technology companies that we think look really, really interesting and, you know, call it on the dirtier side of the technology um, space, but that they have been left behind big time. What gives you confidence that those companies will re-rate to the upside as opposed to just the whole market selling off? Yeah, I mean, like for us, I mean, we're looking at things like at the moment, say like a High Pages or um, uh, Circo, which did very well for us last year, Gentrack. Um, I mean, we're, we're looking at companies where, you know, they've got really hit hard over the last two years. And, it, it, you know, I think when we're all sitting here, a lot of these companies were too slow to take out costs and probably didn't read where the market was going they were still spending as if it was back in 2020 2021 when investors were rewarding that at the time um and so it took them time to take out costs um but probably there were some of them where they took way longer than what we thought now interestingly enough the market's only really rebounded the last three months so we should be able to see that you know the benefits of those cost savings and potentially entering into the profitability really in, into the 2024 financial year. So, I mean, that's what we, we, we think is really interesting at the moment. And these, these are companies that are off, well off their highs, well off their highs. So we're not looking for them to get back to highs at all, but we think they can definitely rally 30 40% quite easily if they do a few things right, given they've been left behind. So that, that's, that's why we're, we're interested in that space. How are their balance sheets looking? Um, I speak to a lot of fundies and they're quite optimistic that a lot of these companies will will push through this period because of how healthy balance sheets are yeah so i'd say most technology companies they do um you know most have stayed net cash through this period um yeah i'd say just broadly as we look across the market across a variety of sectors i think you know that's why we've stayed fully invested through this period of 2022 was the balance sheets are very very strong i mean it's it's they're stronger than what they were in covid and they're a lot stronger than what they were back in the gfc and i think yeah, as we sit today, Wham Capital, I think 50% of the companies we own have a net cash balance sheet, so more cash on the balance sheet than debt. So that's a fabulous position to be in as we go into what will be a tough environment. Um, we will see a lot of earnings downgrades into this August result, but when we speak to management teams and boards, we're encouraging our companies to, to acquire what hopefully is the bottom of the market, or if they don't want to acquire, potentially buy back some stock. So... Um, yeah, we're, we're very optimistic. And I think we probably would have gone to higher levels of cash back in 2022 if that wasn't the case. And we've chosen to be invested in the market. I know market timing is a mugs game, but what's your best guess uh, when's go time? Is it a Fed pause? Um, look, we, we, we think the market's already really pricing that in. Um, and I think... That was probably about three months ago, really. Like, if, if you look at the way technology companies have performed, I mean, I personally think you can't be bullish on tech unless you think interest rates are too high and are due to come down in the next 12 to 18 months. 
So I think that's happened. I think what's stopping people right now and investors from buying the beaten up sectors, those sectors exposed to the economy, is most people are looking at this August reporting season and probably the October and November um, AGM season is is going to be horrific. It's going to be a bloodbath. There's going to be earnings downgrades left, right and centre. Now, if we look at sort of some of the companies we think is, are interesting, and I'll just focus on retail because I always think that's a good one to look at. Um, so Harvey Norman is an example. Um, we've been doing work internally where we're, we're almost forgetting that COVID happened. We don't care about COVID, don't care about 2021, and we don't care about the recession. Well, well, the, the stock price doesn't care either <laughs> Well, Harvey Norman. <laughs> it's come off a lot. <laughs> but like if it, what we're interested in is let's compare their earnings per store from what the consensus um, the analysts have in 2025, which is hopefully coming out of the recession, if we have one in 2024, and compare that to what it was in 2019. Now, if we look at Harvey Norman on a per store basis, I think it's about 50% of analysts are saying 2025 earnings per store is less than 2019. And that's despite we've got you know record levels of immigration, housing market's still pretty strong. Um, we just don't think that's right now is the, the current environment is actually worse than 2019, which was a hard market for retail at the time. And if you look at sort of Harvey Norman, for um, over the last 15 years, there's only been two other occasions where the share price has traded below its property value. And that was, the, and that was in 2012, 2013, when online shopping became you know, the new phenomenon. Amazon was coming into Australia and got sold off. And also for a month in COVID. Well, we're at that point right now. The share price is actually lower than the property value for Harvey Norman. So I look at a company like that and you know, I, I question what the downside is. Yeah, Premier Investments, very similar to that. Um, if you strip out uh, Breville, Meyer, Property, um, and look at what the core business is, is doing. I mean, you, you're paying around, I think, eight or nine times on a price-to-earnings multiple basis for a global rollout story in Smigel and Peter Alexander, and you've got potential of capital management and acquisition. So we're pretty comfortable buying a company like that, and we're probably happy to wear downgrades if, if the environment gets worse because we know when it snaps back, it'll snap back very quickly. So with Harvey Norman, are you buying undervalued property assets or are you buying that as well as earnings outlook? Yeah, so the re- with, with Harvey Norman, I think the backstop is your property and that gives you faith that if the share price keeps falling, you can keep buying with the knowledge that you're pretty much getting the retail business for free. But what we're banking on is that as we move forward over the next 12 months and our view is that rates have peaked and potentially might come down in, in calendar year 24 at some point, I mean, the feedback we get from speaking to retailers and, you know, outside of the listed world is that what they need to see is just stability of interest rates. They don't even need to see them go down. It's just confidence that they won't keep going up. And we think once that happens, consumer confidence will improve. And we actually think on Harvey Norman, for instance, that a lot of the analysts have just effectively scorched earth their numbers and will end up upgrading their numbers. And this is exactly what we saw at COVID. This is no different to what we saw in COVID in June, July, August of 2020. It was a beautiful period in small caps. Um, and you'll see upgrades again. And once that happens, I mean, if you look at Harvey Norman, I think it's you know it's off 50% from its highs right now. So we're not kidding ourselves. It's going to be a tough period in the next few months, definitely, but it's going to present some great buying opportunities. So these stocks you're going <clears throat> that you're holding for the long term, um, it sounds like you own them now. Why not um, buy them in six months' time? I'd love to be to be able to say it's as easy <laughs> as that, um, 
but you've got to be you've got to have a, a you got to do the work now. So you're just, you're just gonna because you're, you're gonna wear the downgrade. Well, you wear it, but wear it at a level in the portfolio where it's not going to hurt you. And you know, for us, it's all about getting you know hopefully the lowest average buying price over a given period of time. And as we see, we've really seen since COVID, really, because there's been such a narrow band of companies that have done well. Once you get a good idea, it it goes up very very quickly. Um, and we've seen that all through the last 12 months in sectors such as travel, as an example, which I think 12 months ago everyone was worried about. Well, all those stocks did incredibly well last year and very and, and went well very, very quickly. Um, so, yeah, you've got to be prepared for it. And, you know, when you're a reasonably sized fund like us, you don't want to be in a company where everyone is selling. Um, you want to be in the company where everyone's buying. So that's, that's why we're making an early call. So how is the portfolio positioned? It can't all be consumer disc. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, Look, we're definitely overweight the sector. Um, but in terms of for, for WAM Capital and WAM Microcap, we're very sector agnostic. I mean, we, we focus on industrials. Um, there's not much resources exposure in the portfolio and we're always looking for a catalyst on the training and the research side, um, which broadly makes up 50-50 of the, of the, of the um, funds that we manage. But if I, if I look at WAM Capital, like two of our highest conviction ideas into 2024 – um, the first one, Viva Energy, um, which is which operates 700 Coles Express service stations in Australia. Um, you know, it's about to undertake one of the largest store rollouts really we've seen for some time in Australia, and that's through a business it bought called On the Run, which is the which has dominated the South Australian market and really taken a lot of share. It's a great business, probably one of the best private businesses I've ever seen. Um, but effectively over the next, call it six, seven years, those 700 Coles Express service stations will be converted to over, on the run. And there's also another, call it 150, 200. So we might be able to see at the end of you know, seven or eight years uh, that Viva might have 1,000 service stations really branded on the run. Um, and if that occurs, the business um, has a large refining division at the moment which is highly volatile. It benefited through the worst of COVID, but it's actually been impacted right now. But that business will end up being 10% of Viva's earnings. And if you look at the valuation of Viva right now, 11 times price earnings multiple, 6% dividend yield, close to net cash. Um, we see if they execute, there's a big re-rating opportunity here. Um, another company we like is Helios, um, which is one of the largest pathology and radiology players, players in Australia. You know, it's had a very tough two years, really due to their own doing. I think it's fair. They made a poor acquisition. Um, they also suffered due to poor, um, to, to falling COVID uh, testing effectively. And then uh, a lot of the cost pressures that have come through around labour and staffing shortages and so forth to really hit the business. Now, pleasingly, we think they're through the worst of that. Um, we actually think volumes have been increasing in radiology and pathology quite, quite strongly. And the market's concerned about their balance sheet. So we actually think their balance sheet's going to be fine as you see the earnings come through. And it's always been a funny stock, that one. It's always always find that it's a bit like Harvey Norman. You have a lot of large cap analysts that, that follow it that I would say probably don't put the time in that they do relative to companies like CSL. So I think there's a lot of negative or bearish expectations out there for the business. And I think if you have a look at their releases, the, the company is, is telling you they're targeting at some point once the cost uh, pressures ease and go back to normal, that they think they can get to around $250 million of EBIT. Well, consensus from what we see, the analysts coming to stock are around 160 to 180 of EBIT in, in, in the financial year of 2025. So that's a good place for us to be um, because effectively the market doesn't believe that 
believe what Helios is saying. So, so we we really like that stock. And last thing I'll say, it's it's you know, it's one of its competitors, Australian Clinical Labs, is trying to take over the business. We don't think it'll happen, but theoretically, it's in play at the moment. So we do think it is a takeover target as well. A lot of these stocks clearly are long-term, high-conviction plays. Making any tactical plays in the meantime? So we, we're always doing tactical, call it trading ideas. I think that's the, the DNA of Jeff Wilson and Wilson Asset Management. So if we look at WAM Capital, WAM Microcap, about 50% of what we do is in shorter-term trading ideas that have a catalyst. And we, we generally find that as you go into reporting season or periods where there are where there's quite a lot of catalysts, that that part of the portfolio does increase as we find ideas um, going into reporting season. I'd say generally over the last probably since really since COVID began, I think it's it's fair to say our trading has probably increased. And I think you know a, as we go to a calmer environment, hopefully in the next few years, we think it probably will decline. Um, however, I will say you know it's it's. It's very important for us, and we actually did an exercise internally that um, looking at the last financial year in WAM Capital, if we'd, we hadn't done any trading at all and just held the same portfolio from the 1st of July, we would have been, I think, 6 or 7% worse off in terms of our performance. So we definitely add value when we do it. Um, and I think, as I sort of said earlier, once you get a good idea, the market swarms on that idea. And if you're not taking profits... Um, you know, that's when you can get really caught out. I mean, I remember we owned Tourism Holdings for yeah, a good three years, did nothing. And then Wooshka bought Apollo. Um, great, great, you know, we love the company, great management team, great, great acquisition. And I think in the space of two months it doubled and there was an investor day and everyone's just every, non-stop buying in the company and we kept selling it. And we were selling at premiums to the share price even. That's how, you know, that's how in demand it was. And in the end, the investor day was a little bit lukewarm and the stock you know, fell after that. And then we're actually buying that stock back right now. So, you know, you can't, you know, we, we often ask ourselves when we're managing the portfolio across the team is does this business deserve to be up X percent this month or does this business deserve to be down X percent this month? And if the answer is, well, no, then that can often dictate our buying and selling on a, on a given day. So um, long story, but yeah, definitely, we, we, you know, trading is a big part of what we do. Yeah, it seems like the commentary around investing full stop um, emphasises the buying piece, but not the selling piece. You don't hear much about the selling piece, no. to be honest. No. It's just as important, right? Oh, 100%. And we, we, we did a really good job of that this year, like the fun. We, we went through it all and our selling was, I'd almost argue, better than our buying, to be fair, because there was some big positions that we had and, you know, there was – just felt things weren't right and we're like, oh, I think we're a bit early here. You know, we had some consumer discretionary names as an example. Well, too early. Um, and so we took them off. Um, but we didn't sell out. We just, you know, thought it was prudent just to take the waiting off. And, you know, some of those names did actually fall. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's 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 funny because oh, we always find, we always joke, we probably get our selling um, generally more right than our buying, <laughs> which says something. Um, <laughs> so... It's so important. It's so important. And, and, you know, that's small cap investing really because, you know, we, we see, you see a lot of companies across a lot of sectors. You, you meet a lot of management teams. Um, you know, you're very broad across an array of sectors. Sometimes things can be just as simple as has the story changed. And often when the story is changed, that's usually a red flag. 
and that's usually when you should really think about selling. Um, so that that's a, yeah. Generally, we're always talking about that internally within the team. Can you give us an example of one of those tactical trades and the kind of catalyst you're looking for? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I, I think I think a good one perhaps was Mermaid Marine, which is I mean, this is probably the best example. I probably shouldn't give you this one. <laughs> um, <laughs> you already did, mate. It's like, Go on. <laughs> yeah, I know. Anyway, but it makes you sound really good, but it's actually it's probably <laughs> our best stock probably ever. But anyway, came to mind first straight away. Well, Mermaid was a was a was a good example, really, of what we do at Wilson Asset Management. And something Jeff's always instilled in us, and you know, across the six six of us in the team, looking at small caps, we see I think close to four thousand companies a year, so it's a lot. Um, now, Mermaid is has been a terrible business for really the best part of a decade, um, but we like the management team. Um, David Ross, the CEO, Dave Kavanagh, the CFO. Yeah, you know, these guys have been through the ringer. They're, you know, the balance sheet was, I think, at, at its worst, I think, 20 times net debt to EBITDA or something like that. Um, they've had two recapitalizations, went through an oil and gas downturn, but we kept seeing them. We kept seeing them. And then uh, as oil and gas markets started to improve and, you know, we did well out of companies like Wally and, you know, a few others and, you know, we're sort of looking at Mermaid and it's sitting there at 30 cents trading at a discount to its net tangible assets. And we know the guys well and we went and saw them and, you know, it was, it was clear things. You could just tell with the body language that things things were looking good. Um, so we bought it. Um, and this is sort of around, I think, probably November, December of, of uh, 2021. Um, and then, yeah, they, I guess we're just focusing on the catalyst from there. So I guess the question is, do we think in the February re- result, are they going to upgrade earnings? The answer is yes, we'll keep buying. You know, with Mermaid at that point in time, I was trading a discount to NTA. So that was a great catalyst. So we thought the NTA gap would close. It's the largest competitor, Tidewater. wasn't even trading at, an NT, at a premium discount to NTA. It was trading at eight times EBITDA, whereas Mermaid was trading at three. And then as the year progressed, or the last year and a half has progressed, we've kept upgrading earnings. But the big catalyst for us now on it, um, you know, now it's gone from $0.30 cents to $1.20. And as I said, it's a great example. Not all of them are like this. Um, but, you know, the 30% of their revenues now come from offshore wind projects in Asia. Um, so we think the business can actually continue to re-rate and improve its valuation. Um, so I guess that that's, gives you a flavour of, of how we think about things at WAM. Um, but if we don't see those catalysts, that should be a trigger for us really to reduce our weighting or sell the stock. I love that. Buy on body language. <laughs> oh, I, know, it's, I like, don't want to know. That I'm was joking. A, I'm joking. Like, You've got to understand <laughs> with guys like this and hopefully they don't, I'll be embarrassed if I tell them this. But when you see them for a long period of time, you can, and you like, we, we, we went through like – you know that was it was bloody hard like for them, and might you know it was just like oh you know you have a meeting and you meet them a, a lot and I think it, you know I think particularly with me if you have a meeting meeting with me I think everyone could read my emotions pretty pretty well but we do so many of these meetings right and we meet so many of the management teams that you do get a feel as 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 when you speak to them you know if if you think things are going well or if they're going badly and that's important actually visiting these companies and not just making your trades based on you know the balance sheets. Oh, 100%. And obviously having a good relationship with the companies you're speaking to also obviously, you know, really helps as well. But, I mean, that's the advantage of, you know, giving giving money to a fund manager really because you do get great access. On the flip side though, if you have these personal relationships, can it be hard maintaining that objectivity? Oh, 100%. And, you know, one of our worst stocks this year was one, one of those. And I think I was sitting in last year and I was – I think I was talking about City Chic, I think, at the yep. time. And it's been a disaster. Um, and 
you know, we had a really good relationship with Phil, um, the CEO, and also Michael, the chairman. And, you know, the, we just, if we look back at that, um, which, which it did, it was our worst stock in the 2023 financial year. And normally we sell stocks when we see the story change. And there was a lot of, you know, red flags, that's called, or, you know, there was a poor result in, in February um, of, of 2022. And you know that really set the motion for the for the companies just the share price to fall. But for some reason we kept we kept holding it. And I think it was I actually think it was because we called the stock initially very well. Like we we one of the first institutional investors to buy the company at like twenty five cents or something. It had gone to six sixty. We you know we're patting ourselves on the back saying we know this company really well. So you know when this company starts falling, you're like oh I just want to prove everyone wrong. You know all the short sellers you know they're wrong. I know this company better. But in the end, like you know. Unfortunately, the, the, yeah. there was they had too much inventory. Um, it was a very competitive sector, and that was probably the thing we missed on that one the most. Are you, are you out of them now? We are, but we, we lost. You know, it was it was our worst stock last year. But we should have sold a lot earlier. But I think the average selling price might have been dollar fifty or something like that from a six dollar sixty high. So it's and yeah, today I think they're thirty five cents. So look, hopefully they come back. Um, yeah, but a good bunch of guys, and you know we, we do think it's a trend in in fashion that will will keep happening, um, and growing. Um, it's just been a very tough tough market for them. You play in the smalls and micro cap space. Have you had any problems with liquidity? Always, <laughs> um, particularly the last couple of years. I mean, we you know, and you've got to unfortunately, you know, to get people to buy a company that you want to sell, you've got to you know, you got to bake some. Big decisions. I mean, you know, we did that the February result with a company we owned a lot of a big percentage of in Eero. Um, you know, we effectively the result was a bit weaker than we thought. Um, we were worried about traditional media companies and you know, we owned I think nine percent, eight, nine percent of the company, I think. Um, and we sold it at a discount. Um, that's unfortunately what you've got to do. Conversely, if you're really bullish on a company, you're really positive, you should be willing to also buy at a premium. So if we look at where micro cap in particular, which is in the, the less than 300 mil market cap end of the market, it has been, liquidity has been terrible in the last two years. Um, so you have to be nimble. And I think we're really good at that. Um, you can't get greedy. I remember one of my um, mentors always told me that, like that's true. When all the buyers come and you've got a stock that's doing well, you know, you've got to take some liquidity. You've got to, you've got to feed the buyers. You know, when that buying stops, generally the share price falls and you can buy it back lower than what it was that you sold it. So, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Um, you know, and I think generally what we've seen in small caps as well is that if you forget about large caps, look at small caps. You know, most investors have been, call it um, buying, the more liquid and the larger small caps of, of, of the sector. Now, we actually think they're going to come back down to micro caps and, um, smaller companies over the next 12 months because they've been left behind. So, um, you know, it, it feels feels hard to do that because it's still very uncertain, but it is a very un- much unloved part of the market at the moment. So there's lots of opportunities. So when liquidity dries up, you find yourself, as you say, um, buying at premiums and selling at discounts as opposed to creeping up the market cap spectrum? Um, well, ideally you creep up – like. It just depends. That's an example for when, like micro cap, which we can't creep up the market cap spectrum, and um, you know that's just and that's really small cap, micro cap. Um, you know, being a fund manager, like you know, if you if you see a company you're really positive on, 
um, and you're fully invested in the market, you've got to sell the company within the portfolio to buy that. Um, you know, and sometimes you've got to make some big decisions. And as I said earlier, sort of the trading decisions we've made over the last, you know, last few years really has, has really helped our performance every year. Um, so, but if you look at web capital, so from around 2019, the average market cap that we've invested in in, in WAM Capital definitely has increased. Um, we think it will de- decrease over the next 12 to 24 months, which is a function of the fact that we, we are positive on the market and positive small caps. And as I said earlier, that a lot of the larger small caps, you know, have done very well and are probably over-owned by um, our, our peers. So, um, you know, as we do think there is a potential some of those companies are sold off to fund new ideas and new sectors that have been beaten up. Estia Health is under takeover from Bain Capital. You guys hold about a tenth of them. Um, where do you see that story going? Well, hopefully the story goes that Bain acquires them. That would be nice. Um, I think we find out pretty soon. Um, but we're not really that flustered if they don't go through with it, really, because it's, it's a great story um, over the medium term. And you know, this aged care industry, and in particular Estia, has had a shocking you know, track record or shocking time of it really ever since they listed. But I don't think there has been a year where costs haven't gone up more than revenue growth. We've had a Royal Commission and you also had COVID, which effectively killed their, you know, their occupancy, basically fell off a cliff. Now, as we, now what we're seeing here is that you know, the regulatory environment's changed I mean, all the operators we speak to think the extra funding that the government's now giving to the sector will offset the cost increases, and in particular, the nurse minutes that are increasing over the next two years. So it's the first time really in a decade that the business can hold their costs versus their revenue flat. Um, if you think about the rising interest rate environment and a tougher tougher market to get credit, it's very hard to develop a new childcare centre right now. So we think the existing players will have an advantage. And what's more is because of the Royal Commission, the compliance costs and inefficiencies, let's call it, have, have increased massively. So smaller operators are finding it very, very difficult at the moment to keep up. So for that reason, we think the scale operators like a, like a um, SCR, like a Regis, like an Opal, that's a private company as well, we think they'll do very well. Now, if the deal falls over, uh, I, think, I think it was a week before the deal, SCR announced a 10% buyback. They've got a very good balance sheet. We think they're going to acquire as well. So for us, you know, it would be nice if they get acquired, but we'll, like if, if, if the share price falls, I mean, it's, it like should, be, it should like be a really anyway. good stock for the next few years, really. The whole sector should be. All right, let's finish up with our three favourite questions. What's one thing investors are getting wrong about today's market? I think it's balance sheets. I think there's, you know, it is a very hard market. And, you know, I think... The next, everyone's sort of focused, and we, we, we can't, you know, we, we, this is us included, but everyone, everyone is focused on the next data point, the next catalyst, or the, you know, the next short-term earnings result, or something like that. And if we look at the the current market in small caps, like the, the balance sheets are in great state. Um, you know, a lot of the retailers for all their faults, and they're going to have a tough period in the next six months or so. But there's only a handful that have a poor balance sheet. So, as we are trying to encourage boards and management teams. This is a great opportunity to be acquiring right now. Um, you know, I think sort of investment bankers probably don't have the, the greatest uh, reputation at the moment given what the, the 2021 um, IPO uh, vintage. But in saying that though, like, I mean, w- 
really, this is the best time to be making acquisitions in our view. Um, so, look, we're, we're really supportive. Our company's growing through this period and using their balance sheet. Um, so, for us, like, that's what we would, you know, and that'll, that'll come once improvements in the macroeconomic environment occur and people looking at interest rates think they're flattening out. And, then we th- and that's one of the reasons why we're bullish, you know, really the market in small caps, like, next 12 months. It was interesting. I was having a look at the amount of deals we participated in and the way micro cap funds probably the one that we you know, generally participate in quite a lot of deals. In um, the 2021 financial year, we, invest, we, we invested in over 100 deals over that course of that 12-month period. Last year, it was 20. So it's, that shows you how much it's come off. Um, and, you know, I think once, once we see everything normalise, I think it'll come back and I think it'll come back quite strongly. Question two, could you share a story of a big win or a big loss in your investing career? Um, what happened and what did you learn from it? Now, you went into depth quite generously about City Chic. <laughs> yeah, so maybe that was me, probably one of win. my worst. Oh, I've got to think of something that's gone. Give us a win. Gone to zero. Well, uh, I think, yeah, well, probably one of them. Actually, this is one of my worst. Um, it's a company called Sovereign Cloud. Um it's got a quite a spicy name. Um, it's the ticker is SOV, and yeah, we we bought that stock in the IPO. We're actually pre-IPO investors, um, and you know, I feel sorry for them because they listed at the totally the wrong time, um, and the business itself uh, effectively you know, provides compliance, let's call it, and security, for, you know, for a number of the data centers and so forth. Let's call it um, the business. It's got a it's got a business very similar to it in the United Kingdom. But they listed at the wrong time, wrong valuation, and because of COVID and and sort of you know elections and so forth, they just haven't won any work um, over this period. And you know the shares have fallen quite, you know, it's, I think we're down like eighty percent on it, on our investment, and that was just purely picking, you know, probably picking, probably had, yeah, they were the, they didn't win enough contracts, and it was just the wrong time and wrong place uh, to buy the company, really. Um. In terms of a win, geez, I've given you mermaid. I need to get a, another one, another one, because I feel like I, I can't trump that. Um, well, you know, SD has been well. Let's see what what the takeover, uh, um, what happens there. But that you know, the team's called that that stock uh, incredibly well. Um, I think SmartPay's been a really good one for us. Um, you know, SmartPay is is a business very like Tyro Payments. Um, it's come out of New Zealand, and we always find New Zealand is a is a great hunting ground for stocks, particularly growth companies. Um, you know the business is is profitable, whereas Tyro at the time was losing money, and they've been expanding into the Australian market and taking a lot of market share. Um, and we really feel the last six months this business has only just been discovered, um, and they also have a, a quite a nice little catalyst with their New Zealand business is um, they. Um, change um interchange uh, providers there's quite a big cost saving that will come through to them as well so it's a nice catalyst at the moment so yeah net cash balance sheet trading on a price to earnings multiple despite being a technology business but that that was been a fantastic uh, company for us doubled more than doubled over the last 12 months and you guys are holders is that part of this yes. consumer disc um oh, i think consumer play or yeah well, that one i would i wouldn't say that i wouldn't yeah, probably a, a vintage wham stock really like no real sector bias or anything like that it was just more like we kept following it we well, i guess really it was in our micro cap fund and this is where we always find as a competitive advantage for us is we have a micro cap fund which focuses on companies less than 300 mil market cap smart pay was in there 
Watched it, did very well, you know, quarter, took market share, beat earnings expectation, next quarter did the same thing, et cetera. And then we're like, you know what, we should buy that in WAM Capital, which is our big fund. And we went hard at the stock. It went to, you know, eight, nine percent of the company, I think, at, at the highest, um, and really had a high conviction bet on it. So um, you know, it's done done fabulously well. But I wouldn't say that we, or, yeah, I mean it's just a stock example as opposed to sort of a sector uh, approach that we would might have taken. Question three, if markets were to close tomorrow for five years and you could only hold shares in one company, what company would it be and why? Yeah, I, I think the classifieds industry is such a good industry. Like, I mean, I just went to the United Kingdom and saw Auto Trader again and Rightmove. I mean, they're just fabulous businesses. And, you know, in Australia, we're lucky enough to have REA, Seek and Car Sales. Um, all of them are great businesses. All of them you could own for five years and forget about. Um, but car sales to me looks really, really interesting. Um, and that's largely because they've made um, two pretty big um, bets or big acquisitions in Web Motors in Brazil and also Trader Interactive in the United States. You've also got SKN Car in South Korea. So it's a global business now. And theoretically, it's a simple story where Australia is the market leader in terms of digital penetration and, and increasing the share of, of wallet of a dealer. I think it's 7% of the dealer's gross profit goes to car sales, whereas those other countries is about half of that. So for me, you could sit there for five years and just back a really good management team and a really good business model to effectively increase that digital penetration and wallet of the, of the, of the dealers. And I think why there's such good business as those ones um, is because that they, they've just got so many levers depending on the market. They can, they can pull the price lever, they can pull the yield lever as well or new product lever. Um, depending on what the market is and, and how demand is for, the, for, for their products or the, or the industry. So, look, car sales we really, really like. Um, we've owned it for a long time. Great management team. I think that's one you can hold. Oscar, thanks for coming on. We'll see you same time, same place next year, hopefully with a different narrative. Hopefully. <laughs> thanks a lot. Thanks, mate. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, give it a like and don't forget to subscribe to livewiremarkets.com for more free content like this. I'll see you next week.